All right, welcome back. Welcome back. Um, welcome back. It's been an eventful week this week. Um, there are, were a lot of things that happened nationally, but also uh, personally in my life, there's a lot of things that happened. But um, nationally speaking, uh, the two big things that uh, happened for uh, our country was on Tuesday morning. Uh, former police officer Derek Chauvin was found guilty on three charges one of which was second-degree murder of George Floyd, who died from asphyxiation last year uh, controversially. And this case was really, really pivotal for many, many people because many people wanted to see justice carried out. And the other thing that was very significant that happened just yesterday was President Joe Biden acknowledged the Armenian genocide. Um, as as a historical truth now not that previous presidents didn't acknowledge it but this is the first time where uh, president of the United States explicitly acknowledged it um, in public which was a big deal you know and it's a big deal for many people many residents of Glendale California because there are many Armenian Americans as well as friends of Armenian Americans who are living in this city of Glendale California. Now, these two major events kind of remind me of something very significant is that we haven't fully arrived where we're supposed to be yet. Specifically, looking at the example of the Derek Chauvin trial and the verdict that was carried out on Tuesday, many people believe that justice was in fact carried out but yet there are others who believe that this is not justice that this is simply a form of accountability and i've had several interesting conversations i won't call them arguments but i've de definitely had a couple interesting conversations with friends as well as people online uh, texting and dming each other on whether or not this was considered to be justice that derek chauvin was found guilty now personally I do think that justice was carried out, um, at least in this one example, but I have to admit that it is not justice fully realized. We are still, as a country, we are still very far from where we need to be. And nothing we do will ever bring the life of George Floyd back, as well as many others who have suffered, um, who have died, uh, unfortunately, um, who have been uh, victims of violence um, this past year as well as previously people like Breonna Taylor Ahmaud Arbery um, and uh, and most recently Adam Toledo uh, just victims of really senseless violence um, that haven't really been satisfied yet and really experienced their own form of justice but in this particular instance I do feel like justice was carried out but Still, I have to admit that it's, it's far from where we need to be as a country. Living justly means to, uh, to do what's right and to right what is wrong. To do what's right and to right what is wrong. And while this didn't bring back the life of George Floyd, uh, it is temporarily at least writing what was wrong, which is acknowledging that what 
former police officer Derek Chauvin did was in fact murder. And this reminds me of that we live in this kind of in-between liminal space where we have a taste of justice, right? We have a taste of justice, but it's not fully realized. We have a taste of goodness in this world, but this world is far, far from good. And we have a glimpse of what joy in God, life in God can be like, but still there's something deeply missing in this world. And one of the great thing, the greatest struggles that many of us have experienced this past year, this year of pandemic, this year of lockdown, this year of economic turmoil, this year of uh, injustice, is a, a confusion in our identity. A confusion in our identity. Um, this past year has challenged a lot of us, a lot of people, with our identity. Maybe there are some people who uh, have been unemployed, have been unemployed for like almost a year or maybe more than a year who are struggling with identity. Maybe there are some of those, uh, some of us who have been laid off and are struggling with identity. Maybe there are some of us who have dropped out of school because uh, online school was just not cutting it or due to other circumstances they just couldn't continue on with school and we lost our sense of identity i know personally for me as a pastor not being able to meet in real life in a building just doing this online uh, has been really really hard for me um, to do what i do uh, as a pastor um, I've, I've i found myself to be struggling with my own identity Interestingly, Jesus Christ himself was challenged with these very same temptations. And the passage that we just looked at, which is Matthew chapter 4, verses 1 through 11, this is a situation where Jesus was tempted with three temptations. Okay, three temptations when he was um, fasting in the wilderness and he was alone for 40 days. And the enemy, Satan, the devil, whatever you want to call him, <clears throat> like approached Jesus and tempted him with these three temptations. And these are the very th same three temptations that we have been confronted with this past year. Most people in the world will define themselves in one of these three ways. I am what I do. I am what I control and I am what others say about me. I am what I do, I am what I control, and I am what others say about me. And we will be tempted to define our identity in one of these three ways. Now, when we're younger, it, it makes sense to define ourselves in one of these three ways. Um, it's, it's almost natural to define ourselves in one of these three ways because as a kid, we're you know, we're figuring ourselves out and as a teenager and as a young adult, we have a little better grasp of ourselves, yet other people's opinions really, really weigh heavily on us. But when we become an adult, we kind of have to grow out of these things, okay? And we have to define our own identity. The same is true for our spiritual identity, for our spiritual identity. The world we live in, 
the world we live in will tempt you to define yourself in one of these three ways, to continually define yourself in one of these three ways. I am what I do, I am what I control, and I am what others say about me. And it's very interesting when we look at this passage that we just looked at in Matthew chapter 4, that Jesus Christ himself was tempted in these three ways. Now, the passage we just read comes from the very beginning of the gospel according to Matthew. Oh, sorry about that. You just saw my notes. <laughs> the passage we just read today comes from the very beginning of the gospel according to Matthew. And Jesus voluntarily, willingly went to the wilderness, this mysterious place called the wilderness, and fasted for 40 days. He went without food for 40 days, and while he was fasting for 40 days, the enemy, the devil, Satan, approached him and tempted him with three temptations. Okay, Now, the wilderness is a, a mysterious place. It's a place of mystery, it's a place of struggle, it's a place of pain, it's a place of challenges, but most importantly, it's a place of growth. It's a place of growth. The wilderness is a place in Scripture where nobody leaves the same. And as difficult as the wilderness may be for many of the biblical characters who enter into it, there is always a profound transformation that occurs in the wilderness. Now, oftentimes the wilderness can be high up in the mountain, Sometimes the wilderness can be in the desert. Sometimes it could be kind of in the woods. But whatever it may be, uh, there is something wild about the wilderness. There is something mysterious and powerful about the wilderness. And Jesus willingly goes into this wilderness, which is his kind of liminal space, which is his kind of um, in-between limbo stage, Prior to, be, be, prior to when he began his ministry. Prior to when he began his ministry. And Jesus found it very, very important to do this because he needed to have a good sense of his identity before he, began, uh, he begins teaching any uh, teachings and before he begins performing any miracles or any healings. And he needs to ground himself in his identity in God, in the Father, prior to his ministry. And while he is here praying and fasting for 40 days, he encounters three temptations. The first temptation that Jesus is encountered with is to turn stones into bread. Satan is tempting Jesus to define himself by doing something. Satan is tempting Jesus to define himself by doing something. He's basically saying, if you are who you say you are, then you have to prove it. If you are who you say you are, then you have to prove it. Now, you should know that um, the word that is used here for if, okay, which is the very first word that Satan uses to approach Jesus, right? He says, if you are the Son of God, command these stones to become bread. Okay, this word that Satan is using here for if is, uh, can be interchanged with the word since. And so Satan is almost 
um, not almost, he, he actually is acknowledging that Jesus is the Son of God. Okay, Satan is not confused as to who Jesus Christ is. He knows exactly who Jesus is. And he's simply trying to tempt him to define himself by doing something. Satan knows who Jesus is and Satan believes that Jesus truly is the Son of God. So the temptation isn't to prove uh, to Satan that he is the Son of God. The main temptation here is to define himself by what he does. Define himself by what he does. And how this translates is to um, you are what you do. Okay, that's the first temptation. Okay, I am what I do. I am what I do. But Jesus resists here because he understood that he didn't have to do anything to prove that he is, in fact, the Son of God. But man, that must have been such a tough temptation. If I were fasting for that long and I had the power to change stone into bread after maybe like five, four days of fasting, I would have probably done it right away. And I probably wouldn't have just turned it into regular bread. I might have turned it into garlic bread and maybe um, a nice ribeye steak and some fries and uh, maybe I would have <laughs> changed a stone into a nice glass of Cabernet. <laughs> I would have done far more than just turning stones into bread. Now, um, it says clearly that in these verses that Jesus was in fact hungry, which for, it's kind of strange to me, but that gives me comfort, okay? That gives me comfort that Jesus was in fact hungry after fasting because it tells me that Jesus was in fact human. Uh, not only was he the son of God, but he was the son of man, which means he was just as much human as he was divine. But Jesus remained strong and obedient to God um, and not to Satan, and not to Satan. I think to a certain extent, all of us have this temptation to define ourselves by what we do. We all have a desire to be relevant in this world, and that's not a bad thing, okay? Um, I have a desire to be relevant in this world. But the most obvious way that we can prove our relevance in this world is by what we do. And so therefore, that is our temptation. Define ourselves by what we do. And we all want to do something in this world that is significant, that we can make a name for ourselves, and be considered important or feel that we're important but this past year has been so hard for many of us and it's almost like uh, Satan was tempting us the enemy the devil the world whatever you want to call it was tempting us to define ourselves by what we, what we do and for many of us that has been stripped away this past year there may be some of you who are participating right now that feels like you haven't done much this past year. Maybe uh, you've been unemployed, uh, maybe you were laid off, maybe you bounced around from job to job, maybe you had to cut down a lot on school or you've changed majors or you changed careers. And there's a lot of shuffling that's been happening for everyone, okay? Um, and I think this is kind of a universal feeling a universal statement now the temptation here is to define ourselves by what we do and if we define ourselves by what we do this past year has been 
incredibly difficult for many of us. And society tells us that we have to be busy to be considered important. And if you're not busy, then the obvious outcome is you're not important. But that is not what God tells us. God tells us that we are His beloved children. And simply put, when we don't have to do anything and we are His beloved children. And this past year might have been incredibly difficult, but also it's given us an incredible opportunity to really discover who we truly are outside of busyness and work and defining ourselves by what we do. God tells us to slow down and to spend more time with Him and to really know who our true identities are in God. And we have realized that this kind of grind culture that we exist in is toxic. This grind culture that we exist in, um, which is very natural in this uh, capitalism in the Western world, but this grind culture is toxic. And the grind culture will tell you that if you're not busy, then you're worthless. But that is the exact opposite of what God tells us. Now, we're still, it's been over a year, and we're still kind of figuring out how to deal with the lockdown and the global pandemic and trying to recover this crazy economy and time will only tell what kind of effect this will have on our mental emotional and you know as a pastor I'm primarily concerned about people's spiritual health I have friends who are therapists who say that they've been busier now than they've been ever before in their career now this season, if you are grounded in your spirituality, if you are healthy mentally, emotionally, spiritually, and you're not confused about your identity in God, I, I think that this year you'll, will come out stronger than we were a year ago. But if you're confused about your identity, if you constantly define yourself by what you do, and if you're not grounded in your identity in God, then this year, unfortunately, might be um, harder uh, on those of you who uh, might feel a little bit more unstable during this time. And then, so that is the first temptation that Jesus is confronted with. And that is, interestingly, the temptation that we are confronted with this past year. Now, the second temptation that Jesus is confronted with is this, is to save himself, to save himself. So Satan is tempting Jesus to define himself by controlling something. And this translates to us in this way. I am what I control. I am what I control. The first temptation is, I am what I do. The second temptation is, I am what I control. In this temptation, where Satan is approaching Jesus, he tells Jesus to show his magnificent power and he says, since you are the Son of God, or if you are the Son of God, okay, uh, you could use those interchangeably. If you are the Son of God, jump off this temple and the angels will come and keep you safe. The angels will come and keep you safe. This must have been a very tempting situation 
because Jesus, he totally had the power to do this, to have angels come and to save him and to crush his enemy. But he resists. He resists because Jesus wants to remain obedient to God and not to the enemy and not to the world. Now, the Bible doesn't mention that there were any spectators. As far as we know, there is no one around except for Jesus and Satan. So the main struggle here is not for Jesus to prove himself to other people that he is the Son of God. But the main temptation is here, uh, here for Jesus is to define himself by kind of flexing his power. Define himself by flexing his power to himself not to other people. For many of us who have this temptation to define ourselves by what we control, it's not a matter of showing off to people. Most likely, it's a matter of showing off to yourself, to prove to yourself that you are powerful, that you have control of your life, of your situation. Does this sound familiar to any of you at all? How many of us this past year have felt like we lost control over some or many parts of our lives? I know I certainly have. We kind of go through this motion in our lives, right? Uh, as soon as we are born, um, we are, you know, kind of have to figure our, you know, the way we move our bodies. But as soon as we, almost as soon as we can learn to walk, talk, and kind of think for ourselves even minimally we're kind of tossed into school and we're kind of run through this uh, conveyor belt of academia and education right and everyone kind of follows the same cookie cutter model and then after you graduate from high school you go to college you have to figure out a major and then after you figure out your major and then you graduate from college you're expected to make money and to make a name for yourself and to take control of your life and take control of your situation. They say, society says, you're nobody unless you have a lot of money. You're nobody unless you have control. You're nobody unless you have power. Jesus is the most powerful human being who, have, who has ever walked the earth. But he showed his power by showing restraint. I think and this in many ways is the greatest form of revealing your power is by showing absolute restraint. And then he goes on to uh, perform his ministry after this time of uh, temptation and fasting in the wilderness, this liminal space that he is in. And he shows his power with humility through suffering and through serving. The main thing that Jesus did that resisted him from Satan's temptations was that Jesus went along with God's timing and not to the world or Satan's timing. Jesus did the right thing at the right time and that is critical. What Satan was tempting him to do was to be kind of premature with his power. Jesus did perform miracles. Okay, Satan tempted him to perform miracles, but he didn't do it when Satan told him to do it. He performed it when it was the right time. Jesus did 
show his power in many ways. But he didn't do it when Satan told him to do it. He did it when it was the right time. And many of you might have heard this saying before, the right thing at the wrong time is the wrong thing. The right thing at the wrong time is the wrong thing. There are many things that we can do that are still considered good or right uh, according to the world, but if it, it is not when God wants us to do it or if it's not according to God's plan, it can be the wrong thing. God has His timing for you. Yet we are tempted to usually, oftentimes, move faster than God wants us to. Maybe we want to get there sooner. Maybe we're impatient. Maybe um, we, want, we, we trust the world more than we trust ourselves or, or more than we trust God. And we want to do, we want to just get there faster, right? And this is one thing that uh, I've been struggling with deeply is that, um, you know, this whole journey of starting a new church with a small group of people, I just wanted to grow fast and like get there much faster, but it's just going at a snail's pace. And this pandemic hasn't helped very much in terms of our growth. Yet there is something profound that God has been teaching me by this kind of slow process and going along with His timing. And I see how it's been incredibly healing in my spiritual journey. We all have this inner desire to be powerful. We all have this need, this temptation to have control over something and to define ourselves by what we control. And power in and of itself is not a bad thing. But when we want power prematurely or we want it for kind of selfish ambitions, then it becomes the wrong thing. One of my favorite authors, his name is Henry Nouwen, he, uh, he has this great quote on power, and he said this, Power is often an easy substitute for the hard task of love. It's easier to be God than to love God. It's easier to control people than to love people. It's easier to own life than to love life. I'm just going to leave this here for a minute for you all to read. It's just so good, so rich. Now, if there's anything that I learned this past year, it's this. All the things that you think you own or control um, should be held loosely, should be held very loosely. And if we do have the privilege of owning or controlling anything, we should be incredibly grateful for it because we don't know how long it'll last and we don't know exactly what God wants us to do with it. So we have to make the most of it. We have to make the most of it. The third and final temptation that Jesus is confronted with is this. Satan is tempting Jesus to define himself by what others say about him. Satan is tempting Jesus to define himself by what others say about him. In this last temptation, the devil took Jesus to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And the enemy said to him, all these things I will give you if you fall down and worship me. 
Now, this last temptation is very tricky, okay? Um, and it, to be honest, it might have been the easiest temptation for Jesus to resist because, for one, the world does not belong to the enemy, okay? It does not belong to Satan. It's not his to give, all right? And two, um, Jesus was like, he, he knew that Satan had kind of played all his cards, right? And so this is kind of like uh, Satan's uh, Hail Mary. He's like just going for whatever he can here, right? But the temptation here is this, is to define himself by what others say about him. To define himself by what others say about him. And the way that this translates is this, I am what others say about me. I am what others say about me. Now this temptation might be the easiest for Jesus to resist, but it is probably, for most of us, the most difficult temptation for us. Okay, we are more and more concerned by public opinion than we are about anything else. This is precisely why the social media industry is so huge. It's because people care so much of what others say about them. And they fall into this trap of, I am what others say about me. This temptation of people's opinions of you um, defining who you are is so pervasive in our society nowadays, especially, especially in America. Now, in some ways, um, public opinion is very good. It's very healthy in many ways because it, it uh, keeps people accountable, especially leaders, right? We've seen how toxic leaders have been called out and in some ways public opinion is a good thing it's a good tool it's a good instrument to keeping people accountable yet on the other hand we are so per uh concerned and worried and anxious about public opinions that so much of what we do and how we live our lives and how we define ourselves is defined by public opinion in the same way that Satan was tempting Jesus to define himself by what others say about him, we are also being tempted by the world to define ourselves by what other people say about us. Now, let's bring this all together, okay? At the very end of Jesus' fasting, okay, he comes down from the wilderness that uh, liminal space, that in-between space, he comes down from that wilderness and he gets baptized, okay? He gets baptized by none other than John the Baptist who uh, kind of lived as a hermit and he was um, uh, kind of preparing the way for Jesus to begin his ministry. And they go to the Jordan River and, Jesus, uh, and John the Baptist baptizes Jesus. And right after he does that, a voice comes down from heaven, which is the voice of God the Father, and he says, You are my beloved Son. In you I am well pleased. This is prior to Jesus even do literally doing anything. But God is pleased with Jesus Christ just because of who he is. And the same thing that God, said, God the Father said to Jesus Christ 2,000 years ago is the same thing that God wants to tell all of you today. You are my beloved son. 
You are my beloved daughter. With you, I am well pleased. You are not defined by what you do. You are not defined by what you control and you are not defined by what others say about you. You are defined by what I say about you. And you are my beloved son, you are my beloved daughter. In you, I am well pleased. Just as Jesus had to go through the wilderness and go through that liminal space to understand his identity and really find his grounding and his centeredness in his identity in God the Father, this is what God is encouraging all of us to do. As we are leaving, hopefully soon, uh, we are leaving this liminal space that we've been in this past year of global pandemic, of lockdown, of economic crisis, of racial injustice. Just as we are now starting to exit this liminal space, God wants to remind all of us to remember our identity in Christ. You are not what you do. You are not what you control and you are not what others say about you. You are God's beloved son. You are God's beloved daughter. In you, he is well pleased. In closing, I want to leave us with this wonderful poem for you to read. And then after, I'm going to leave it lingering for like a minute or two and really make the most of this time to pray to God and to connect with God the Father and let Him, let the Holy Spirit speak into your life and speak to your heart and remind you who you are in God. Have a blessed week.